If you turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, this is on page 886. We'll read verses 1 through 5, and then we'll skip to read verse 14. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let us pray. O Lord, open up our eyes that we may see the glory of our Savior Jesus Christ, that you may be lifted up and honored. Amen. If you see your outline in sermon notes, because of time, we're not going to get to creation and life light, but we will cover that next week. Uh, we're simply going to talk about verses one and two in the main. Um, kiddos, three words. Now, this time it gets a little hard because the first word is a Greek word, P-R-O-S, Cross. And so that we don't leave out the Hebrew, second word is a Hebrew word. S-H-E-M-A, Shema, S-H-E-M-A. So pros and Shema. And the third word, I don't know if you'll recognize or not, it's Barbie. Oh, boys, aren't y'all glad we're going to talk about Barbie in the end? I know, I know you're excited already. Um, <clears throat> Now, sometimes in a, a book or an extensive paper, it will have at the beginning what's called a prece, a prece, I mean, and that's P-R-E-C-I-S, a prece, which is a capsule of what the whole book is going to be, the book in a nutshell. It's like an overture of a musical that has the themes of the musical and the little snatches of song from the whole musical. And you're going to hear all those when you get to the musical, but they're all bunched up at the first. So it's a little teaser for what's coming, a little appetizer for what's coming later. And that's what John 1, 1 through 18 is to the whole book of John. It's the pricey of John. And we're going to stay in John 1, 1 through 18, the pricey of John, for all of Christmas uh, celebration. But the way John describes the Son of God in these opening verses is meant to just turn your head and think, i got to read this story because it's so fascinating what he says about the Word, who we find out in verse 14 is none other than the Son of God. Now, 
in Genesis chapter 1, when the Hebrew is translated into the Greek, it began with two Greek words, in arche, in the beginning. Same two words are here in John. He means for us to think about creation because he starts exactly like the Bible starts. But in Genesis 1, basically, we're taken back to the back fence of creation and the next words are, and God created the heavens and the earth, right? That's Genesis 1. Well, basically, John says, I want you to come back to that fence, the beginning of creation. I want you to turn around, and I want you to look at the eternal valley that was there before creation, okay? So in the beginning was the word. He already was and he was with God. So before we talk about God creating the world, John says, let's talk about the God who created the world. Let's talk about this relationship that was already there. At the time of creation, in the beginning, there was already one called the Word, and that Word was in relationship with God. That's what I want you to know right off the bat that this relationship existed before creation. I like to call it the always had been relationship, right? The always had been relationship. There's the beginning of time as we know it, and then there's the always had been. And another important thing here is that there are several words in the Greek for with, if you're with someone. One Greek word is called meta. Another Greek word is para. And those just mean that you're with someone. But this word, pros, is a much more intimate word. This word basically means this, together. Yeah, you're with, but it's with on steroids. It's with in an intimate way. Sometimes it carries the meaning of facing one another, in the presence of one another. Here it would mean the word was face to face with God. Now I'm going to pick on some guys from the deacon training. Um, let's just say Wes Bonner and Rob Shilito, Shilito wouldn't mind spending to get time together in the meta or para sense of just being with each other, hanging out one night. But they wouldn't want to be together in the pros sense, as in being stuffed into a telephone booth together for three hours, right? Now, you kids don't know what a telephone booth is. Get your parents to tell you. Or some of you parents are so young, your parents may have to tell you. I don't know. <clears throat> but you get the point. Uh, pros is close. He's saying that at the time of the creation, the Word had been in a close and intimate relationship with the Father forever. That's what I want you to understand to start with. Jesus referred to this in his prayer in John 17 when he says, Glorify me with the glory I had with you before the world began. Ah, we're getting a little opening here of what's to come. And later in John 17, he says, you loved me before the foundation of the world. 
There's that with, there's that intimacy that always was. And Jesus is referring to it when he prays that he shared glory with the Father before time. He was loved by the Father before time. There was this eternal uh, relationship of love and shared glory, the already before anything else existed. But John's not through blowing our minds here. He says that the word was with God, was with God, but then he quickly says, as you can read here, the word was God. And I can just hear somebody from Alabama, whoa, whoa, now you telling me, first of all, that he's with God, and then you're saying he's, he is God. Now, now, go back, pick one or the other, you can't have them both, right? I mean, that's our reaction. You're either God or you're with God, but you can't be God and with God. It doesn't make sense. How could that be? But John is saying it, and he's saying it on purpose. You could summarize the first few lines in this way. The word is God, and he's a fellow with God or a fellow of God. He's the fellow of God. And for a Jew to be writing this is just amazing. Every Jew, like John, held to one central confession of faith. We just uh, set our confession of faith. Their one central confession of faith was found in Deuteronomy 6.4. It's in other places, but the central one is Deuteronomy 6.4, and it reads, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now, the word hear in Hebrew is, kids, Shema. Yeah, <laughs> I know you knew that, right? Hebrew word Shema. And so it's called the Shema for the first word that starts, Hear, our Lord is one. If you ever heard Shema, you know what the confession is. This was spectacular in the midst of every other religion that had many gods, polytheistic. This out of, the, out of seemingly the sheer blue out of nowhere comes a religion in which they declare emphatically, uh-uh, there are not many gods. There is one true God, Yahweh. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who brought Israel out of Egypt. That's the one and only God. And yet, and yet, he's saying the Word was God and the Word was with God. Does that mean there are two gods? No, one God. Are you feeling it? Are you feeling a little bit of the... That's how we should feel. We should be in awe of this. We should be amazed by this. Who this God is, how he is. He is the Father. He is the Son. He is the Holy Spirit. Three persons, but one God. Now, we've been told, and it's, it, we're right in this, don't try to illustrate the Trinity with anything. Don't try uh, an egg, for instance, the shell, the yolk, and the white. No, no, 
Those are three separate things, right? Or don't, don't try water with liquid, gas, and solid. That, that's, that's not right. But I want to give you children, kids, an illustration, or adults too if you want to draw it. Um, but let me just say, we're not really supposed to do this, so don't try this at home, kids. All right? Don't try this at home. But if you'll put three dots in a kind of a triangle, okay, and then instead of a circle around them, draw arrows pointing out in a circle, right? So there's not a circle. It's not closed in, just arrows pointing out in this circle. Now, you'll notice that each dot shares the same space. God the Father God the Son, God the Spirit are all infinite God. They share the same being, same substance. But there's relationship. You can point arrows between the dots. They love each other. They have relationship within God. Three dots represent then the three persons of the Godhead who share one being. They have relationship. And so we can say the amazing thing that is just bursts upon the scene here by a Jew who believes in one God is saying there is relationship within God. There is relationship within God. There is family within God. God is family within himself. There's always been a relationship. There's always been family in God. It's the only God ever talked about, ever invented, <laughs> whatever, that is this. And we believe it's the truth. That's why we're, as we're made in God's image, that's why relationship is critical for us because we can't help it. We're made in his image, the image of a God who is relationship. That's why little babies who sometimes are born in terrible conditions in orphanages where they can't be held, it ruins their life if they can't immediately be held and spoken to and whispered to and sung and they just immediately have to have relationship. Why? Because those babies are the image of God who is relationship. That's why relationship, good and bad, is so critical in families, so critical for children, so critical for husbands and wives, so important in the church. Why? People could come to a church with average preaching, but if they can come in and find rich relationship with people, life-changing relationship, they'll put up with mediocre preaching. But to come into a church where there's fantastic preaching, but you don't have any friends at all and no relationship at all, who wants to be a part of that? Relationship is everything. The whole history of the world is about good and terrible relationship. And that's the point of even repeating it, you know. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then, yet yeah, you got it right. He was in the beginning 
with God. And you have to remember that this is a preview of coming attractions in John. And it, it's to make us sit up on the edge of our seat and say, he's with God and yet was God. I want to hear more. What does this mean? And it gives a backdrop to Jesus' statements of being sent by the Father because in the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, there are three statements of I was sent by the Father in Matthew, two in Mark, five in Luke, and some of those are just repeating themselves in each Gospel. There are 40 in John. You see, that relates back to he was with the Father. He was sent by the Father. That's why there's so many sent by the fathers because it talks about he was with the Father. The one who was with the Father from all eternity now is sent by the Father for us. That's why Jesus can say in John 6, 46, not that no one has seen the Father except him who is from the Father. He has seen the Father. The backdrop is he is with the Father. He was, the word was with God. Or in John 8, 38, I speak of what I've seen with my Father. You do what you've heard from your Father, who he thinks is the devil, Jesus, the Pharisees. And then 14, 9, Jesus says, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Because he was with the Father. As verse 18 of this chapter says, no one has ever seen God. The only God who as at the Father's side, he has made him known. Who could but him? Who could make him known except this one who has been with him eternally? That's how glorious this truth that we celebrate right now is. And we'll talk about the fact that he, therefore, since he's God, made all things. And he, in him alone, is life because he is God. But I want to go to some application before we close. This means first that we have faith. And I would put it this way, faith in our Savior who is God. You see, it would be blasphemous for you to believe in Jesus Christ if he is not God because you, you're not to put your faith in anything or anyone except God himself. Only God can bear our faith. Only God can rescue us. Only God can change us. Can he give you new life? Yes, he is God. Can he change your life? Yes, can he give you energy and strength and desire to serve him that you've never had before? Yes, because he is God himself. Can he give you a love for people that you've never had? Yes, he's God. Can he give you a love for worship, a love for prayer, a love for the word, a love to give yourself away to the afflicted? The life of all creation begins in him and the life of all spirituality and new creation begins in him. Can he take away your sin as far as the east is from the west? Yes, he is God. 
But finally, I want to talk about praise for his humility. That we would be in awe of his radical humility that this God from all eternity would take on flesh as we've already sung and become a human being. Now, God and man, two natures, one person forever. That God would take to himself flesh forever identifying with us, forever becoming one of us. And, and that's why he made the world so that he would reveal the greatness of his love by taking flesh to himself forever. We need to be in awe of him. And I think this is part of the new covenant when he says, I will put my fear in you, my awe in you. I will make you in awe of me. And certainly one of the most glorious aspects of that is I will reveal to you who I really am, that I humble myself to become a human being, to die for you. And so we read in these hymns, who is this so weak and helpless child of lowly Hebrew maid, rudely in a stable sheltered, coldly in a manger laid? Tis the Lord of all creation who this wondrous path hath trod. He is God from everlasting and to everlasting God. And yet he's in a manger. Lo, within a manger lies he who built the starry skies. Always bear in mind the creator, the maker of all things, as John says here. There's nothing that he didn't make. He came and lay in a manger. With blessing in his hand, Christ our God to earth descended. Or this one, cold on his cradle, the dewdrops are shining. Low lies his head with the beast of the stall. Angels adore him in slumber reclining. Maker and monarch and Lord over all. And in one hymn, it, talks, it's, it refers to his being the God of Mount Sinai, the God who gave the Ten Commandments. O come, O come, thou Lord of might, who to thy tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times didst give the law and cloud and majesty and all. And the point is, when you think of that God who gave the Ten Commandments, who delivered them out of Egypt, who afflicted the Egyptians with those curses, that's the God. That's the God who came in the flesh. Bring them together always. Thou who art God beyond all praising, all for love's sake became man. And all the more we honor him when we see his majesty shone forth on the cross of Christ. This is interesting in John 12. And Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be, and you think, crucified, humiliated, 
despised, denigrated, defamed, scandalized. No, looking through all the suffering and the hatred and the mistreatment and the ridicule and mockings, the beatings, whippings, the crucifixion itself. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And you think of Isaiah 53 when he says, we turned our faces away from him, this bloody, maybe human being that you can't even recognize anymore. We can't even look at him. And Jesus says, that's when glory breaks out. Glory breaks out in your horrible death. Yes, because the blazing light of God's love and humility breaks out in the cross. The God who made the world and everything in it is the God who came to sacrifice himself for sinners. We were fixed in sinning. We were enemies, Paul says, and looking upon us enemies, fixed, refusing him, turning against him, he died for us. He died for us. The Lord humil humbled himself to die for us. And so we must praise him and be in awe of him as all heaven in he Revelation 5 says, worthy is the lamb. It's the lamb who was slain, the lamb who was slain forever and ever. We will worship him. And what shows that we truly admire him and adore what he is and what he's done for us by humbling himself is that we then live out that humility in our lives. You see, here Jesus says, I will glorify the Father by humbling myself. I will show forth what God is really like. He's, with all of his infinite power, what does he do with it? He uses that power to sacrifice himself, to love people. And so in the words of Paul, humility means we count one another as more important than ourselves. Like Jesus counted us more important than his own comfort. And in showing forth that at heart of counting others as more important than ourselves, we glorify God. We show forth God. We're like God. So back to Barbie. <laughs> Billie Eilish's song, we've heard it a thousand times, right? What was I made for? And it's interesting, the first question of the Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? It's basically asking, what were we made for? What were we made for? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the chief way, one of the chief ways we glorify God is we manifest his humility one, to one another. We manifest what God is like to one another. Jesus, in his humility, glorified God. We're made, brothers and sisters, we are made to count one another as more important than ourselves. 
That's what true humanity is. She sings, I don't know how to feel. And I say to you and to me, feel like Jesus. Be like Jesus. I forgot how to be happy. And Jesus says, if you love like I love, you will have my joy. That's what you're made for, human being. That's what you're made for, to live out God's humility. And then her little phrase, taking a drive, I was an ideal. Looked so alive, turns out I'm not real, right? If you want to be a real human being, count one another is more important than yourselves. You want to be a real man, count your wife is more important than yourself, your friends. You want to be a real boy, a real girl, a real child, count one another is more important than yourselves. Otherwise, we're just little wooden Pinocchios but we become real boys and girls and real human beings when we live out the humility of Jesus. Only God can make that happen. Only God can make you so in awe, so adoring the humility of Christ that you begin to live it out in your life with joy. May God grant us to be real human beings, to live out what we are made for. Let us pray. Oh, Lord. Bless us, equip us, nourish us, build us up in Christ, O oh Lord. Thank you for such a glorious Savior who did such a glorious work for our sake. We praise you in his name. Amen.